Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that as we go to your word tonight, that we would be reminded of the magnitude of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the Christmas season, in case you didn't guess. And uh, we're going to talk about the shepherds this evening, the shepherds' visitation to Christ. And as I was working on this sermon this week, it occurred to me that we've been talking about these same shepherds at least once a year for 2,000 years. There's really nothing new I can tell you. And then I immediately kicked myself for picking this passage. Um, But uh, as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me just how mundane the story has actually become for us. 2,000 years later, in contrast to how spectacular it must have been the night it happened. And perhaps we've forgotten that. Maybe we've become a little bit jaded. Uh, Maybe there's so much hype going on around us all the time that these sort of stories don't mean as much as they used to. In 2001, I was driving on I-635 on the north side of Dallas, Texas, going to my job in Plano. And I was listening to the radio, and over the radio came an announcement, I think it was some sort of public broadcasting, that there was an inventor who had now invented something that he was claiming was going to reshape the world. 2001, the world was going to be reshaped. And this technological advancement was so fantastic that Steve Jobs of Apple Computer got behind it and said, this is going to change everything. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, touted it as a great invention. And John Doerr, a Silicon Valley venture capitalist, also got behind it and put his own money into it. And everyone was hyping this thing that was going to change our lives. I would ask you to guess what it was, but you won't ever guess. It wasn't the iPhone. That didn't come out until 2007. It was the Segway scooter. The Segway scooter was going to change the world as we knew it. It was supposed to revolutionize transportation. As far as I can tell, the tourists in St. Augustine love it. Mall security guards enjoy it, and couch potatoes have become rolling potatoes. As far as I can tell, the Segway has not lived up to the hype. Have you ever ridden one? Imagine riding one around Grove City. It's a good idea until it snows. It's a good idea until it rains, which means it's a good idea about 30 days a year. Uh, The Segway is not what it was proclaimed to be. Uh, Y2K. Some of you are too young or you were four and couldn't figure out why your parents were hoarding food. Um, It came and it went and nothing happened. Uh, What other big things have been proclaimed in our life? I'm sure we can think of a few that were going to be game changers. There have been a few game changers. According to Motor Trend Magazine, the 2011 Kia Optima sedan was a game changer. The iPhone was a game changer. Facebook was a game changer. I think plasma TVs were a game changer for six months, and then it became something else. Uh, Like There have been a lot of things that have done some amazing things in how we communicate. But most of the stuff that gets touted as game-changing, as spectacular, really isn't. It's just a lot of talk. And now we have this story that really is spectacular, but we've talked about it for so long that it's lost some of its punch. 
uh, we think about it at Christmas, we enjoy the story. But imagine what it must have been like to hear it when you were there. Uh, the, the passage that I picked tonight, verses 15 to 21, focus on uh, the responses that people have when they hear the good news. Uh, but before we can get to their responses, I want to back up. We really need to look at the first few verses, beginning at verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, to kind of get the whole scene and set it. Um, this is what happens. And you've heard the story many times. I'll read it anyway. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For just the briefest instant, uh, God throws open the doors of heaven and instantly mere human beings see something that they've never seen before and they're afraid. I think you would be afraid too. I've never seen an angel. I have a feeling it would be rather shocking. Imagine a multitude of them praising God, seeing and proclaiming good news. And the message they brought, it had three parts. It was good news. It brought great joy, and it was for all people. And so the door of heaven is opened up, and the multitudes of hosts come out, and they're singing to these shepherds. And you've probably heard it said about shepherds that they were sort of um, on the outcast of society. I'm not sure that's completely true. It is true that shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean, could not enter uh, the temple until they'd gone through the ritual purification process because they handled animals, and that was dirty. But shepherds in scripture are always seen in a positive light. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Uh, The prophets talk about Israel needing good shepherds and they have bad shepherds. David is actually uh, praised for being a shepherd. Uh, Shepherds are not looked down upon. Shepherds are just average. They're just average. And, and, And the spectacular nature of the angels coming forth, is contrasted with the really averageness of the people they're talking to. They're just ordinary guys working in a field. They're not very special. And it seems to me, as I look at these shepherds, I am caught up in one of my own sins, which is the desire to be seen as important. And these these shepherds are not very important. What makes them important is that they function in the work of God. Not that they in and of themselves are particularly spectacular. They're just guys. But they're functioning in the work of God. They have a role to play. And they are faithfully seeking to fulfill it. They don't even hesitate when the angels tell them, go to Bethlehem. Uh, They just do. Average people uh, working every day uh, to impress their God. Uh, The one, the people on whom favor rests, their only claim to fame is nothing more than they wake up every day and they pursue a living in the service of God. 
that is on whom God's favor rests. Average people who need a savior. Not particularly spectacular people. They're just average Joes. And so you have the curtain of heaven thrown back. You have average people being uh, proclaimed to this gospel message, this good news that brings peace and great joy. And all of it centers on a manger, on a feeding trough. And so you have the beauty and splendor and the magnificence of heaven coming down into this food trough. That means really kind of nothing. And you know that whole holy, uh, Silent Night, Holy Night song that we love, Silent Night? Probably not like that. Uh, possibly, uh, and there's a lot of debate about this. It is possible that it wasn't an inn and that it wasn't a stable where Jesus was born. It is possible that it was a family home with a little side apartment where the newlyweds lived until they could find and build their own home. It's possible that Jesus was born in a room five feet from the entire family. And when the uh, shepherds come to proclaim the message, Scripture tells us that everyone who heard it was in wonder. Who was the everyone? I, I don't know. The other townspeople? Maybe the family members? Clearly, there was a group of people hearing this, not just Joseph and Mary. And so favor rests uh, on an ordinary people, average Joes, and it focuses on a food trough. And the angels proclaim to the shepherds uh, that, that there are three titles given to Jesus. He is the Savior. He is Christ. And he is Lord. That word Savior has an Old Testament connotation. And we we really have to grasp this before we can understand the magnitude. The Savior has Old Testament roots. And it's typically seen as a figure of divine deliverance. The Savior comes from God. He is Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One. Handpicked by God to accomplish this purpose. He is Lord. He is Master. He is King. Uh, This is the promised one. The angels are proclaiming the fulfillment of the prophetic promises. It's here now. Praise God. And they do. They praise God. And at the heart of the message, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. The Old Testament concept of shalom. A general sense of of well-being. Uh, This is something that we humans are always looking for, isn't it? A sense of peace. Even in our really good years, we're not really very peaceful. My wife and I had a conversation one time that in the nearly two decades that we've been married now, we think we had one year that was really okay. (laughs) The rest were sort of hard. For one reason or another, something happens. And that is what it's like to live in this world. But you see, people, they're always looking for peace and they're always looking for Messiahs. There's an inscription in Prien, Turkey. It's called the Prien Calendar Inscription. It's about Caesar Augustus. And this is important because Luke, I think, in his writing, always has in the background Caesar Augustus in his mind. The Prien Inscription says this, The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came through him. The birth of Caesar Augustus is the good news for the world. And so Luke is writing to an audience under the rule of Caesar Augustus and says, Oh no, Caesar's kind of wrong about that. The real peace comes through the real king, 
promised from God in the Old Testament. And he brings the good news. And he brings the hope. And he brings the peace. And so for Luke and for the audience reading this, they look at this story and Caesar Augustus is no more than a pawn to fulfill Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Augustus is the one who declared the census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Augustus, the self-styled God-man king, is just a pawn in the plan of God. And God is bringing about his will to bring about his king and his savior, to bring a peace that comes from him. Because the Pax Augusta, the peace of Augustus, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, is a shallow sort of peace, isn't it? Imagine, imagine peace in our time. World War I, the war to end all war, wars until World War II and every war after that. Imagine that our government could actually pass laws could actually pass laws to protect us. It's not possible. Uh, Grove City is a very safe place to live. I read this on Facebook. It must be true. One of the lowest, one of the lowest crime rates in the state of Pennsylvania. I believe it. Can any of us remember the last time a violent crime of any sort happened in Grove City? I, maybe. I can't. I've only been there two years. But hey, uh, n- not very much. Nothing happens there. Grove City is is relatively safe compared to Pittsburgh, which is relatively safe compared to Chicago, which is, you may know as the murder capital of the U.S. Chicago is relatively safe compared to, say, somewhere in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, which is relatively safe compared to, say, Baghdad. But all of it is relative safety, and all all of it is relative peace. There is nothing that Caesar can do to bring about the kind of peace that actually changes the world. It's all window dressing. It's all a sort of false peace. But Jesus tells us in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And and Jesus also says in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I I have overcome the world. And so this proclamation of these angels to these shepherds is not necessarily a proclamation that all your problems are now over instantly. It's the king has arrived and the process has begun to set it all straight. And you may not see it right now, but the king is here and the world is being rewritten and souls are being transformed and the gospel actually matters and heaven is opened up and the angels are singing it. That's what we're remembering when we remember the shepherds. The proclamation that it's all begun. Everything that our hearts have yearned for. Everything that our hearts still yearn for is happening. It's happening. It's a promise. And so how do the shepherds respond? The shepherds respond uh, in verse 17, or verse 16, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They preached it. The shepherds preached the gospel. 
And they believed that preaching that would actually change people. It actually mattered. But see, we get bored with that good news, don't we? Now, I know here we don't, and I have a feeling if Ethan and I ever stopped preaching the gospel of God's grace, you would hang us. And that's good. (laughs) You should. But, but, we get bored with it, don't we? I remember after a sermon one time, uh, a guy came up to me and said, you know, I really like the gospel, but I really just need you to tell me what to do. (laughs) And I said, I can't. I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell you who Christ is and let him work in you and have you do what he wants. Like, I can't tell you what to do. It's not my place. But we've lost the awe of the story. We have broken down the gospel into simply sort of a self-help method, a way to improve ourselves, a way to get a little better. We've lost the wonder. Maybe it's because we've become jaded. Maybe it's because there have been so many things in our lives that have promised big results and they didn't come through. And maybe, just maybe, we think the gospel won't come through either. Maybe we think that the good news that Jesus died for your sins and it's by faith alone, through grace alone, uh, that you're saved. Maybe we actually think that doesn't work. And so maybe uh, we're not quite like the shepherds who are in awe of what they saw. When was the last time you were really in awe of anything? Maybe it was the Grand Canyon. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was a fire-red sunset. Maybe you were in awe and wonder uh, when you went to the doctor and you got that really good uh, health news that you thought was going to go poorly. Maybe that excited you. I don't know. What I know is that when the, when the uh, shepherds preached this message, the hearers wondered at it. But we don't know if they believed it. We know they wondered at it. Well, that's pretty amazing. Angels? Hmm. But Cousin Joe never saw anything like that out in the field. Uh, Maybe they treated it like it was common. Maybe they didn't. I don't really know. But what I know is that this news was, was inspiring. And I wonder sometimes if we've analyzed the majesty to death. Have we thought so hard about how there possibly could have been a miraculous star in Bethlehem to lead the wise men that we forget the fact that there was a Christ born there because we're worried about other things? When was the last time we were really in awe? Have we stopped looking and listening? Has it really just become mundane to us? Um, It is easier to absorb what is thrown at you. Uh, It is easy to, in the Christmas season, to just kind of fall into the materialism. I do it all the time. It's easy and it's simple. And I know we laugh. I'm going to pick on Ethan a little bit. We tease Ethan because he draws a hard line about Advent hymns and Christmas hymns. And, and, you know, it's funny to make fun of him because it just is. Um, but, But I've come to believe that the way we keep the wonder is that we have to preserve its dignity. And I think we can preserve the Christmas season by rightly observing the Advent season. And so we keep Advent as anticipation and Christmas as celebration. And so the world doesn't really get Christmas from us. They have this thing that they have that they do. But we still get Christmas from January 20, or December 25th to January 6th. And so we keep it as special honor to remember what it is. And then we ponder it. Mary, it says, and I'll close... Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told to them. Uh, Mary heard it all, and it says she pondered it and she treasured it. 
It is one thing to hear the good news story. It is another thing to imbibe the story. Uh, Whether or not you accept Jesus as Savior does not change the fact that he is Savior. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is God does not change the fact that he is God. But we experience it when we choose, like Mary, to let it wash over us. The story. To live in the story every day. To be reminded of the truth of the gospel every day. It's why we need this message constantly. Because if we don't allow ourselves to be centered on Christ, everything else becomes mundane. It just becomes rote and routine. But when we focus on Christ and make him the center of it all, it never really becomes routine. Because Jesus likes to mess with you. (laughs) He likes to mess with you. And he likes to put you in a position where you have to trust. And he likes to put you in a position where he's all you've got. And that's really good for you and me. And so this message is really for you and me, for average people, who heaven is being opened up to. The king has been promised. And I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. But if I did, I would say in 2016, just make it about Christ. Uh, Make it centered on him in all things that you do say and think. Be where he is. Worship where he can be found, no matter what church that is. Sing the songs that lift him up. Read the scripture that tells us who he is. Just be where Jesus is and let him work in you. Let him do the work. Because at the end of the day, we're sort of average Joes. We're just shepherds. That's what we are, seeking to please God. Let's pray. Father, change our hearts and minds. Help us to fall in love with this story and change us. Change us uh, into the image of Christ, we pray. In his name, amen.